0: Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we'll start reading with verse 1, and we'll read the first uh, 16 verses. Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We'll stop reading here at verse 16. I imagine you may have guessed the main uh, theme uh, by listening to the children sing, This Little Light of Mine. The message this evening, though I read the first uh, 16 verses of uh, this Sermon on the Mount, um, we're focusing mostly on the latter portion of it, the theme of salt and light. And then we'll connect back into some of these statements known as the Beatitudes. Beatitudes. Jesus says here, ye are the salt of the earth. And so he spoke often in many metaphors, uh, parables, or comparisons to things that are in real life. That we, uh, that his audience, including us, can get a sense of what he's talking about. It makes it more tangible rather than only speaking about um, spiritual concepts. Salt is something that we use probably every day. Uh, In fact, all of our food, especially if it's processed, probably has more salt in it than what is good for us. Um, And so there's a lot of salt that is used. And it's used to give taste. It's used as a preservative. Those are sort of the two main things that I'm familiar uh, with in regards to salt. And it's used in numerous cases in the Scriptures, uh, as far back as the Levitical law uh, there was a command in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, as uh, God is instructing Moses, instructing the priests and the Levites, uh, that they are to season their meat offerings with salt. And so even there, it had a particular purpose. Back in the days before we had refrigeration, salt was used a lot as a preservative, in particular for meat, to prevent it from going bad. And so my understanding would be then, these are the two analogies that Jesus is drawing from when he uses this word salt. We are the salt. You are the salt of the earth. Now, of course, uh, maybe we need to step back a little bit and look at context here. Matthew chapter 5, the whole Sermon on the Mount, is describing the characteristics, the virtues, the qualities of a person who is saved who is a believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ and walking with him on a daily basis. Um, This is not merely a a moral code which one should live by and then hopefully uh, gain eternal life by attaining to this uh, high-level moral code. That's uh, that's not how this uh, biblical teaching is to be looked at. Salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And through his transforming work, we become new people and live uh, a righteous and holy life by his power. And we'll touch on more uh, about that in the place of the gospel uh, later on. So if we look first here, there's another reference about salt in Colossians 4, chapter 6. A very practical uh, lesson or statement about our speech. He says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Interesting comparison here. Grace and salt. When we speak, we speak with grace, meaning we, in our speech we treat people better than they deserve. Maybe we might feel like treating them roughly or harshly um, or putting them in their place and so forth. Um, But he says always with grace, treating them better than what they deserve. With gracious words. Of course, that doesn't mean we would never issue harsher words or stern words or words of rebuke. There's certainly a place for that. But even when that is taking place, words of correction and words of rebuke, especially uh, probably the most common um, place for that would be parent-to-child relationship in in, uh, training children, uh, lots of words of correction and so forth, that those words would be with grace and, of course, with truth and with love. Seasoned with salt, so that in a sense, uh, this, this is a taste imagery. Seasoned with salt, so that they taste good to the ears, uh, so to speak. Knowing how to answer every man. Salt influences. It influences the taste, and it influences the longevity And so in that sense, as believers, we are expected to have influence. That is our purpose. That is our calling. We were saved to have influence. Not merely saved for our own benefit, but saved to further the kingdom of God and make a difference in the lives of those around us. And so in that sense, if our purpose is influence, that means we need to be in places of influence. That means whenever those opportunities are there to influence, in word or in deed, or in remaining silent, that also can have a place of influence. Doesn't always mean speaking. Um, then we are to, in a sense, be called and act upon those opportunities. You've probably seen the analogy that of course salt needs to come out of the salt shaker in order to get used. In order to have its place, if it just stays in the box, in the storage, in the salt shaker, then it isn't being utilized. And of course, there's a place for storing salt, too, because it does get used. And so in that sense, if we would expand that analogy as believers, we need times of rest when we are in storage, so to speak. Um, But the main point is so that we become used or useful because he says here this aspect of usefulness or uselessness it's useless if it has lost its savor if it is no longer salty if we've lost our our ability to influence uh and we're not influencing towards the kingdom of god there's strong words there uh, as he compares it to salt that doesn't have a saltiness what's the point of it then it's used as something to spread by the wayside maybe similar to sand it just used it's used as, as filler uh, to walk on and so when we think about influence taking inventory of your last few days in what ways have you influenced the people that are around you towards the kingdom of god that's your point that's the point of this message here when we're talking about salt. And there's lots of places that we can do that in influence, as well as influencing with good taste and preservation. And so we'll look at the nuances of those. So if we look at the the comparison of good taste, are we a pleasant Christian to be around? When we are in the room, does it add a sense of blessing to the space where we are? That would be the analogy of salt. It adds blessing and flavor and taste to whatever food it is added, when it's added in the proper amount, proper proportion. And so likewise, that your presence as a believer in the space where you are, in your home right now, uh, when you are at work, when you are out and about uh, interacting with the public, Uh, when you are at school, when you are interacting with your neighbors, walking around your neighborhood, etc. Are you influencing good taste? Are you pleasant to be around? That would be one way of being salt. Uh, Does it influence conversation and behavior towards good? So in that sense, there's a measure of preservation there, that the fact that you are present there likely should and often does as a believer, of course, if you are uh, being a believer spirit-filled, it will influence how people behave around you. And probably an example that I've heard often, which I experienced myself and maybe many of you have, is it influences the nature of the conversation that's around you. If you are uh, in a place of uh, work or in a place of school where the uh, habitual language is foul language, uh, I've heard testimony of many believers that their presence influences that type of language to not be present anymore. And people will recognize and sometimes even apologize if an inappropriate word, foul language, slips out of their mouth. They they will apologize and be polite. That has been my experience numerous times. But not always. Sometimes I'm in the presence of very vulgar people that don't care. And foul language continues anyway. But in in many cases, I've heard that testimony, and that might be your own experience as well. So there's an example of the, just the fact that you are present there influences the kind of talk that exists. Now we can extend that further into many other examples uh, in in regards to talk. If you are present, is there likely to be gossip there? And if there was gossip there, and you coming into that place, would the gossip cease? or be reduced, or would they become embarrassed? Or perhaps your, your reputation is different because you participate in the gossip, or maybe even instigate such things. That would be an example where you're not being the salt that Jesus calls you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple of Jesus, to be, to influence the kind of conversation that is around you. Uh, What about behavior? That could be uh, another extension as an example. Influencing the kind of behavior. And so that if maybe a group of people were about to do something very foolish, the fact that you are present with them may actually preserve them or prevent them from doing so. Not that you are somehow physically restraining them or forbidding them to do so. If you're in a place of influence or authority, that might be exactly your role at that moment. But in other cases, it may just simply be the fact of the kind of person you are would make them embarrassed to do something foolish. And so in that sense, you're saving them, you're preventing them from doing something foolish. Just the fact that you are there and them knowing uh, the kind of person that you are. But in this world uh, now there's uh, especially now during the uh, the pandemic uh, lockdown that's been uh, taking on so uh, dragging on uh, so long it seems uh, that there's a lot of virtual space in which you have your presence especially for those that are younger uh, and uh, middle aged and so forth that do a lot of online interaction uh, through social media and, and now so even with the uh, uh, video calls and so forth, uh, multiple uh, uh, person meetings uh, on technology, is the virtual space that you occupy on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or other uh, platforms, uh, whatever they may be, influencing the kind of conversation threads that are there. Are you tempted to jump along with whatever the bandwagon is, the flavor of that day, the flavor of that week, and uh, you just sort of jump along, uh, blurting out whatever uh, comes to your mind, not necessarily well thought through, uh, maybe not even well substantiated with facts. It's just something that you've heard and oh, it sounds reasonable, and you're going to repeat it and spread it, and haven't really thought to, to verify whether it is actually true or not, uh, passing along information that might be questionable. It's easy to jump along social justice bandwagons, and those flavors come and go with various kinds of things. There are certain ones that sweep our day uh, and so forth that may be very worthwhile causes uh, in their own sense, um, but in a sense it's a, so, a, a, ju- a bandwagon that uh, people may just jump on and uh, make some statements uh, about it. And then next week it's some other bandwagon and so forth. Think about in what ways you are salt in the place that you are, and sometimes there is short-term opportunities to speak uh, about the kingdom of God, to speak about Jesus and about the gospel, uh, because he does certainly Jesus and the message of this of the gospel is relevant to every situation, including of course social justice ones uh, as well. Of course, but being the voice of grace and truth in every conversation that you have now another example you may have heard of and this would be one to avoid uh you've probably heard of the expression uh rubbing salt in a wound and so when someone makes a hurtful comment that adds insult to injury so to speak it's like rubbing salt in a wound that would be very painful and not at all helpful um I understand that there may be some uh, uses for saline solution or some light dilution of salt that does actually m- maybe aid the healing of, of wounds and so forth. I, I'm not a medical person to be able to uh, say much about that. Uh, but nevertheless, we are to be agents of Jesus' healing, but not in the sense that it rubs salt and is painful in someone else's wound, but rather that we are agents of comfort Agents of hope, agents of healing and encouragement and restoration. And so is the example of salt. We are the salt of the earth. Let's move on to the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let's look at this example of light, because Jesus describes himself often as light. If we want to go to John chapter 1, uh, you're welcome to follow with me here. There's a number of statements in John chapter 1 about light, speaking about Jesus. Verse 4, "...in him was life," meaning him, meaning Jesus, "...and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness." And the darkness comprehended it not. Uh, That means the darkness could not overcome the light. The light was stronger. The light of Jesus is stronger than any darkness. Uh, Light and darkness are often used as metaphors for good and evil. And uh, here Jesus, of course, is the light representing good. The John the Baptist came to bear witness of that light, verse 7, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, meaning John was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And in a similar manner, that is also our calling, to bear witness of Jesus Christ. And we'll explore that in in a few minutes. That was the true light, meaning Jesus, which lighteth every man that comes into the world. Jesus is the light that pierces every darkness there is no darkness that he is not able to overcome and so we enter into the message of the gospel as the gospel is light and we have this statement in john chapter 3 verse 16 about god so loved the world That light is come into the world. That's Jesus coming into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. A fairly... Substantial passage here that we'll look at a little bit. And so this message primarily is to those who are in darkness right now. If you are not a Christian, then you are walking in darkness. If you have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, you are walking in darkness. If you are yet in your sins, you are in darkness. But the invitation is this evening to come to the light. The default standing that you have in darkness is condemnation. But you don't have to stay there. I encourage you to believe on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. And this can take place for you this evening. You can begin that journey tonight. Call upon the name of the Lord. Recognize that you need him for salvation. You can't save yourself. You're not going to be able to be good enough to make it to heaven by your good works. Nobody makes it in that way. That is not the way salvation works. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he extends this invitation to you because he loves you. God so loved the world. Let's substitute the world there for your name. Whatever your name is, Jim or Bob or Sally or Susan, god so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever that means you that if you believe you should not perish but have everlasting life why would you turn such an offer down don't reject it for another moment turn to jesus turn to his light don't resist the the truth and the light that is available to you to light up your the darkness of your heart and cleanse you and transform you uh, numerous other statements that jesus says about light and that we will uh, touch on in john 8 verse 12 jesus said to them i am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. So notice here, we had read in Matthew that Jesus says, ye are the light of the world. Here he says, I am the light of the world. What is true? Both of those statements are true. Jesus is the ultimate light of the world, and those who are followers and disciples of Jesus, his light shines through each one of us as we are representatives of him. There's a statement here in in, uh, the epistle of John, First John chapter 4, verse uh, 17, just the last half here, because as he is, meaning Jesus, so are we in this world. Because Jesus is physically no longer present here, he is present in the form of the Holy Spirit, indwelling each believer. And so we are his representatives being the light that is in the world. And so we are to shine the light of Jesus into the world. John twelve forty six. Jesus speaking, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. I encourage those who do not yet believe on him, turn to him and fully believe. Maybe you just partially believe or you... You have a, um, an intellectual agreement that, yes, Jesus is uh, uh, the Son of God, and yes, that makes sense, and I believe that the Bible is true, but you haven't taken that step in faith of applying it to your own life, trusting in him for salvation, for life, trusting in him to make you righteous by the faith that you have in him. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. It seems here that this is the, uh, not just merely something, uh, being a light as a believer is not merely something that we do. I'm going to be a light today, and then tomorrow I'm going to decide to turn my light off. Uh, that's not how it's intended to be. Is This is part of our identity of who we are, and then it reflects of how we conduct ourselves and how we function. And that the intention is that this light is visible um, in a, broader scale in wherever we are uh, in the corner where we are so to speak that's certainly the case um, but don't hide it and give it light unto all that are in the house verse 15 he says and then verse 16 then he says let your light so shine before men let's look at this word let a little bit that's very interesting here this word let can have two meanings and we interpret it based on context here. It can mean to restrain, as it's used in Second Thessalonians, uh, talking about the man of sin, that he who now letteth uh, will let. is sort of this phrase, uh, maybe somewhat of a, a play on words, if that's the right way to say it. Uh, speaking about restraining, there is this particular force that's restraining the evil in the world. Perhaps it's the presence of the Christians being salt that could connect into that. Um, but the other meaning of it then is to not restrain the, this meaning to restrain as the word let That's more of an archaic an ancient way of using it. We don't typically use the word that way Here it's used in the term of like we understand it to not restrain Don't restrain your light from shining. So that's interesting uh, so this implies then that the default state of the Christian, the transformed state that Jesus put us in, is that our light is shining. And we need to not restrain that from shining. As opposed to maybe looking at it in reverse, we need to actively turn our light on and work hard to make sure that our light is, br- is uh, burning brightly. That's not the image that we have here. It's the light of the gospel, the light of the presence of Jesus Christ is shining through us, and at times we can restrict that as opposed to letting it shine through. And so what might be some ways that you have that are restricting the light of the gospel, the light of the kingdom of God, the light of the presence of Jesus shine through? Consider those restrictions and take them out of the way. And let that light shine through. I read a devotional some time ago, a little bit more than a year ago. um, Written by Max Lucado. Um, And uh, this touches here on this theme here uh, on verse 16. Let your light so shine before men. And there's a purpose here. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's an intention here for believers. But let's ponder on for a moment, those that have young children, and uh, or all of us would have that experience of observing children, it's not unusual for children to want to draw attention to themselves. Frequently they would say, look at me! And they'll perform some task. Maybe they just learn to ride a bicycle, or they're bouncing a ball, or they're skipping, or or uh, jumping on the trampoline. Whatever it may, may be, "Look at me!" is often children do things to try to get noticed, to try to get attention to themselves. And to a certain degree, it's it's humorous to children, and and we. Um, applaud them to a certain degree of skills that they've learned and encourage them and so forth and to a certain degree we we may foster that kind of an attitude Um, but at some point that needs to grow up Uh, we need to grow up and, and not live in those terms of look at me but yet how many adults do the same thing look at me drive this fancy car look at me wear expensive clothes Look at me, wear provocative clothes. Look at me, earn money. Uh, Look at me, have influence. Look at me, uh, use big words. Uh, Look at my muscles, etc. Whatever the case may be as adults. Again, drawing attention to themselves. When was the last time that you maybe did that? Said something or did something whose primary or a large portion of the motivation sometimes we have mixed motivations you know there's several layers to our motivations for what we do and and we try to maybe even sometimes on the outside make those motivations um, good motivations or appear to be good but there may be some underneath uh, secondary and third level uh, motivations which may not be quite so uh, pure and we would prefer that those wouldn't be noticed or known we just want the primary one to be visible Isn't it time that we grew up? Because our lives are made to say, like he says here, look at God, to glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look at God. People are to look at us as representatives of God, but in a sense we are to be somewhat invisible in the sense that our lives point to Jesus Christ and the wonder of what he has done and is doing in us and through us. If we look at uh, Galatians chapter 2, Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul writes it this way I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As a believer, you have died to yourself. And we are to continually, as Paul said, I die daily. So that's an active exercise, shall we say, to die to ourselves, to resist the desire to draw attention to ourselves, but rather to point to Jesus Christ. This verse 20 here uh, uses this phrase here, I and me, uh, numerous times, I had counted eight times here the word "I" is used, and five times the word "Christ" or "God" is referenced in this. Is really emphasizing a lot here of this contrast between "I" and "God," that we are our identity is to point to Him. And so, in what ways, even during recent days, and the uniqueness of this situation that we are in with the lockdown? Uh, to point to Jesus, to trust that he is the one that is the solution. Is there opportunities that we have in conversation to let our light shine such that it points to Jesus as the solution? Rather than man's solution, whether it's research or technology um, or physical distancing or a vaccine or whatever the case may be, Jesus ultimately is the solution. And if any of those other components are a piece of the solution, it would only work by his blessing anyway. Are we acknowledging that such that people know that they don't put their trust in man's devices, but rather that your trust is in Jesus Christ and his ability to take care of things? Do we talk to others about how important it is to gather together at church in gatherings like we used to that isn't per, uh, permitted yet maybe there's even a place to speak to an, or write to an elected official uh, to get that policy changed quickly just in ways in which that we can be salt and light recognizing that jesus is important and as his followers we have something to say uh, uh, about that where well, we can point to jesus in online communication lots of forums online uh, for that, and we can get tangled up in side debates uh, that that may be more politically motivated and so forth, or economically uh, motivated. The main point is the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ as the solution. Moving on quickly to finish up here, touching on some of the beatitudes here. If we now, through this lens here, look at our primary, our our calling is to be salt and light. How does that look back now on the beatitudes? Uh, The one that uh, it reflects on a lot, all of them in some form, and we won't have time to exhaust them uh, this evening, but it's verse 10 and 11 and 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The level of persecution often is directly proportional to how fruitful someone is in the kingdom of God. We read about that in Acts, when the disciples were active in healing and preaching the word of God, then they were persecuted and attacked. All they would have needed to do is remain silent and practice their faith privately and in silence and in secret meetings. Then the persecution would have been much less and perhaps even uh, non-existent. But the apostles, even when they were threatened and beaten, they said, we cannot but... Speak the things that we have seen and heard. In essence, they're saying we cannot do anything else other than being salt and light. That is our calling because of what we have experienced, that transforming power of the work of Jesus Christ. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But then Jesus makes it more personal he really this point is emphasized the most in these beatitudes blessed are ye notice now he's making it personal it's not just they those that are on the other side of the world maybe in faraway places where the persecution against christianity is much more uh active and and overt shall we say but now he says blessed are you when men shall revile you. That means to treat you harshly and, and uh, wrongly and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. So there's false accusations. For my sake. And furthermore, he goes further and says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. So for, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Is one of the hindrances for you in being salt and light the fear of persecution? The fear of being uh, resisted or getting involved in uh, um, getting attacked in some form, whether verbally or by reputation, or maybe it uh, impacts your um, uh, career abilities um, and, uh, and so forth. Maybe you considered a career-limiting move, so to speak, to speak up about Jesus in a particular occasion. Those might be forms of persecution. But and in a sense, you have somewhat some influence on that, on how much you actually want to be salt and light versus staying quiet and melting into the shadows. May we not be fearful of that or afraid, but rather recognize that the sufferings of this present world are nothing to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We read about that in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 5, I had preached on that a week and a half ago, speaking about rejoicing and being exceeding glad uh, when there are hard times and and, uh, persecutions and so forth. And so we see that's that's a recurring theme in numerous uh, scriptures here, that we glory in tribulations, we rejoice in difficulties, in hard times, because of what that produces. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Likewise, moving on to some of the other Beatitudes in closing. As our light shines, that we are peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Making peace between God and man and introducing that peace to others. Reconciliation, where things were apart. Blessed are the pure in heart, those that are merciful, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, meekness in the sense of gentleness all of these have a place in the way we conduct ourselves as believers as salt and light and this is a very active thing we're going to uh, shortly listen to a camp choir to um, the team choir sang this song i think it was 2006 Uh, so that's going back quite a few years Uh, go light your world and there's a particular phrase here take note uh, of it here Carry your candle, run to the darkness. This element of advancing in the kingdom of God, not just standing still and shining where you are, and if people come, they happen to see you, that's great. Well, that's certainly one place. But Jesus described very explicitly to go out into all the world, carrying his light and his message of hope and reconciliation to every place. Carry your candle and run to the darkness.